Dan, you have a lovely waveform. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. <laughs> it's really <laughs> so He's right. I'm I'm pretty proud of my waveforms. Well, welcome everybody to the Space Biff Spacecast. We are back after a, a long hiatus. Uh, much like our special guest today, who I will introduce in a moment. Uh, as always, my name is Dan Thoreau, and today's special factoid about myself is that I have two belly buttons. What? Wow. Yeah. I am joined today by my very good friend, Brock Polson. Brock, why don't you let us hear the sound of your voice and also tell us a fact about yourself? Oh, sure. Uh, so this is what my voice sounds like. Uh, and an interesting fact about me is that uh, I am surviving in the midst of a global pandemic. Oh, man. If I'm glad the rest of us aren't doing that. <laughs> And we are joined by a very special guest. I'm so glad you could be here with us today, Mr. Colby Dowk. Yay! Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely. Is there any hidden factoid about yourself that you would like to share that you've never shared before, perhaps on the internet or in public or with your loved ones? <laughs> your most secret. Man, wow, <laughs> my deepest, darkest <laughs> secret, huh? Well, I was, I, I don't know if I've never shared this before, but to my knowledge, not on the internet, I was once uh, shut inside of an industrial sized dishwasher and turned on on me. <laughs> oh, no. It was quite hot. Oh, wow. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. I came out of there tearing off clothes because my wet clothes are so hot against me. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, my goodness. That is a scoop. Well, Colby. You heard it here well, first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Colby, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, as you know, uh, I am an enormous fan of one of your games. I'm a fan of many of your games, but one of them is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and here we're going to ask some of the hard-hitting questions. All right. So I hope you're braced. I'm ready. What were you thinking with Magic Drain? You know, I was thinking... <laughs> what would be great is if we did an event, and we should really include it in a bunch of decks, uh, because the event should uh, help a player catch up if they're behind, and it would just be a little way to help the game self-balance. Hey, I, uh, a follow-up. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a follow-up to that. Uh, how do you uh, sleep at night? Having... Knowing that I created Magic Dream? <laughs> right. It's quite soundly. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, but it good. won't be in that's, second edition. That's comforting to me. Okay, good. How does it feel to be independent again? It feels really great. It's really exciting. I mean, there's a, a lot of work uh, to do. It, it just is part of reestablishing and our, ourselves as an independent business. And there are some definitely some nerves there. Uh, but mostly it's just really exciting to just be out there, able to mix it up again. In some ways, uh, Plaid Hat was the original independent studio for me getting into board games. So it's sort of interesting to think of you in the sense that you began as that, and then you were a part of the asthma umbrella and now, and now you're back. Yeah, it does. It does seem like we were one of the the first ones. Uh, Flying Frog was I remember it was around as like an indie publisher when it first got started, but I can't think of a lot of them. I haven't played one of their, their games in so long, but I miss I miss their 
art where it just seems like they got their friends and like those, a bunch of coffee. Yeah. yeah. Those so the photographs. Yeah. And then, and then they put like a Photoshop fil- filter on it. Yeah. Painterly filter. So I imagine that when you said nerves, I imagine there is some anxiety there. So it's my understanding that you've lost uh, some of your evergreen titles. Like, have, so you've lost dead of winter. Dead of winter. What is, is, going over to Fantasy Flight Games and becoming part of their line. And Stuffed Fables, Mice and Mystics, and Aftermath all went to Z-Man. So that's a lot. So what's your plan? They're, you know, they're obviously they were our cornerstone brands uh, that were pulling in the most consistent money. Um, but that's why Asmodee wanted to keep them and um, was willing to sell back the rest. So, you know, mainly what I was buying in buying plaid hat is, you know, my baby, but like the brand, we obviously have some name recognition in board games already. We have some audience, uh, reach through our social media accounts and stuff. And then forgotten waters, which, uh, we'll talk about later, but that was already developed and, and ready to go at the time of the purchasing. Do you feel like it's a little bit of a cyclical poetry to all of this that here you are once again, independent and in a way, you know, you do have forgotten waters, but in a way it feels like what's really generating a lot of buzz is summoner wars that summoner wars was in many ways, the inception of plaid hat. And here you are doing it again. Yeah. When it went independent, it was, it was one of the things that was on my mind, but it was like a, "Eh, maybe, maybe we could pull that off. I'd love to revisit it. And then, you know, I saw you were writing about it and people, when it came back to independence, people were, you know, started asking about Summoner Wars. And so it just, it kind of, and it was in my mind that like, man, that's got a real nice roundness to it, to be the rebirth of Plaid Hat. Also um, having Summoner Wars at the heart of it. Yeah. So why don't we talk about Summoner Wars, the original one anyway? So I've I've been playing an enormous amount of Summoner Wars lately, um, and I I don't <laughs> it it it's one of those things where I I have my alliances uh, set. It has one copy of everything. I used to have two copies of everything, but I started selling them to some people who found a few of the sets difficult to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a friend who. Uh, who had never played it and, and asked, you know, I've heard Summer Wars is good. I'd like to, I'd like to try it. And so I said, well, yeah, let's play one game. And I pulled it off the shelf fully, you know, and it was covered in dust, um, fully intending to play once. And I think I've played um, like 15 games in the last month. <laughs> it's um, still got it. Oh yeah. I, it really I does. Think, yeah. It cracks. So Brock, you've been playing it again as well. I have. Uh, and I'm to the point now uh, I have my oldest uh, is nine years old. And so I've been playing with him and it just, it's, you know, it's like returning to an old friend. Uh, It's, uh, you know, I have my big alliances box and um, I, you know, we, we spend a few minutes. He looks through the, the different decks and, you know, he wants to know who has the most life or, uh, you know, he, he wants to find a faction that's fast and sneaky or, you know, and, and it's, it's the things that I loved about Summoner Wars 
to begin with, uh, that I'm now able to sort of evangelize to my son. Uh, the other day we played, uh, he, he took the classic tundra orcs and I, uh, I stomped him into the ground with sneaks and, mm, and really beat the, your kid's ass. Huh? <laughs> yes. Really just took it to him. Didn't do anything to like balance it or take it easy on him. Huh? Well, you know, he, I, I let him get in some, some shots and I, All right. you know, I left, I left sneaks hanging out in the open a couple turns, but, uh, no, he, this kid's got to learn, you know, <laughs> he's got to learn the hard way, <laughs> but you know, you know, and it was the same that, that an account that you hear that I hear when people talk about summoner wars is, you know, right after the game is over, somebody's saying, Oh, I want to try again with your faction. Right, let's do mm -hmm. it again. Like, let's just trade. Uh, and I think that is just such, uh, such a great thing about summoner wars is that, uh, that fun factor that's so apparent even even from getting beaten by a faction like oh yeah, yeah. that's that's where it's at i also like it when you win a game of summoner wars and the other start person starts pissing and whining about the fact that your faction was overpowered right You're like, all right let's trade factions yeah let's, yeah. let's test that <laughs> so i it, it just in the very small off chance that somebody logged on uh, they decided to listen to this. They have no idea what Summoner Wars is. Why don't we go through? And I don't. I don't think we need to give a huge overview. But why don't we give each of us um, what we think is the core of Summoner Wars? Mm, yeah, let's let's each do the back of the box description. Yeah, wow. everyone gives a blurb. So so here I'll go first. So hold on, let me get a pen and paper so I can write these down. We're gonna <laughs> use them in the new yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> we surrender all rights to these blurbs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, um, when I there are so many things I could think about with Summoner Wars, obviously, um, but one of the things that I think is absolutely brilliant Colby. And I would love for you to tell me where this came from is the magic system. Um, I, I love that at least in the first edition, and we can talk later about what some of the changes are you're thinking of making in the second, but I love that everything um, you've got all these cool units um, and obviously they have different statistics. They might be melee, they might be ranged. They, they have different numbers that they roll. They have different abilities. Um, but to me, one of the best things about Summoner Wars is that every unit not only has a cost, but that it can become magic. And that when you kill a unit, you get its magic. So you actually take that card off the board and put it into your magic pile. And at the end of the turn, you have your cards, whatever's left over from summoning and spells that you've used. And you can choose to take some of those and put them in your magic pile. And so by the end, you almost have this archaeological record of, of the game face up in your spent magic pile of everything that you decided not to use every hard sacrifice you've made, everything you've killed. Um, and I love that system. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so, so is that, you, I don't know how much of this is unique to you. I don't know how much you cooked up with your friends. Um, when did that magic system occur to you? It, it kind of came whole cloth the whole game kind of came whole cloth it was it, i was in that state when you're nodding off to sleep and your brain's just kind of racing from idea to ideas as you yeah. drift, drift off and they start to become abstract uh and 
I had been, or at least that's how my brain works. I, I had been um, trying to make a game after having worked on HeroScape as a freelancer uh, and worked on some other projects as a freelancer. I had decided like, a, well, I want to make my own thing now and had made this game and uh, it was just, it was too much. It was too fiddly. And I'm starting to think about like all the costs that would be involved in the idea of like raising that much money up front. This was pre Kickstarter seemed, you know, really difficult. And, um, you know, just as nodding off to sleep, I think the, the, um, the spark of the idea was like, what if I had a, a miniatures game, uh, but the miniatures were cards and then you could have like a whole army that was just a deck of cards, but it would work like, you know, like my, you know, more like Heroescape, which was my favorite game. That's a huge fan of uh, where you know, there'd be tactical movement and, uh, you know, it would feel like you were maneuvering around a battlefield. And, uh, and then once that spark hit, it woke me up and it was just like a flood of one thing. And this could work like this and this could work like this. And what if this works like this? And I actually like got up out of bed, went to my computer and like typed for an hour. And um, very little, if, if I were to go back and find that original document, like it would look very much like Summoner Wars. It was just, awesome. And it was just a chain of thought. How often do you get moments of inspiration like that? Or is that kind of a once in a lifetime? That was the first and last time I've ever had that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think those come very often. Brock, if you could blurb eyes some of wars, what would you say is the appeal of it? So I, um, I've written a little bit just like on board game geek and stuff about, about Summoner wars. And there are, I think two main things uh, that I find extraordinary about Summoner Wars. I think the uh, the quickness that a, a person can grasp the system, that the rules are easy enough to uh, to learn within a couple turns, um, and then from that from that point you can really start diving into strategy and tactics. Um, and then my favorite thing about it and the thing that really drew me to the game uh, is just the variety and the way that you have all this variety contained in a not very tall stack of cards. You know, you have all these factions and uh, you really can find something that will, uh, will be just what someone is looking for. You have powerful factions. You have sneaky, fast factions that are easy to hit. You have, you know, the if you don't, you know, if you don't like the dice, even there's there's factions for that. Like there's there's really just so much uh, variety and uh, with without any sort of, uh, I guess, the power creep that that you expect to see when something gets, gets added and expanded, um, to where you can, you can pick a faction at random and be competitive and have a ton of fun with it. 
I like what you're saying, Brock, especially in the sense that you said that that was two things, but I, I feel like in a way, <laughs> but then I listed many more than that. Well, but I, I feel like it's really one thing that I think is very uh, elegant about Summoner Wars is that it's an incredibly, uh, it's an incredibly flexible system. It's, it's very easy to get into, but there's, a, there's so much that they've done with it. Um, you know, I, I remember that this was, this was the game that I was first involved in a metaphor. Um, and so I remember reading all the things that you uh, had posted on the site, Colby, um, you know, little snippets of fiction, little glimpses at the decks that were upcoming and being excited about it. And I don't think that I have uh, ever had that before or since with a board game. Um, but, w- but one of the things that was so impressive is that you start with this foundation where you have some fairly simple factions right up front, you know, with the cave goblins and the guild dorks. And then eventually... Um, <laughs> you, don't, you hate you that engage, huh? And you've got, then you've got, oh, I hate engage. Engage. Get out of here. Engage is bullshit. But the, uh, (laughs) but then you get into, you know, just that master set with the swamp orcs um, and how much they changed the game without changing it too dramatically. And then eventually the filth was so different. And then you have uh, factions with kind of their own little side decks of special units. And some of that was a little, you start to get a little fiddly. um, Yeah. That's but like I, the stuff I liked the least was and want to avoid was when it starts to, like the language really starts to bloat and you end up with right. side things and really hoping to be more clever. It, it, my, my factions I really loved was like, oh, this card says so little, but means so much. Sure. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time that I looked at a card and I, I thought, I think they actually made the font smaller. <laughs> <laughs> that had, yeah, that happened on some cards. Yes. <laughs> so I remember that. So so thanks, Brock, for weighing in. What do you, Colby, since you, of course, are the grandmaster here, how would you blurb your own game? I would say it is an expandable card game of tactical combat. Oh, that is catchy. <laughs> Wherein uh, each player picks a faction. Each faction has a summoner, and your goal is to defeat the other player summoner, and you do so by bringing uh, units, uh, warriors onto the board and maneuvering them about a, a, um, a, a physical board and that's your battlefield and uh, trying to get through their units and destroy their summoner. Uh, and, you know, you also have event cards that you can play that represent spells and tactics that you're that your army uh, is adept at. One of the things I, I like about what you're saying, Colby, is, and it ties into what Brock has said, is I love how crisp the victory condition is. There's no confusion. Uh, no one needs to figure out any particulars of it. Your goal is to kill somebody. Yeah, it's and, it's chess. It's right. King. Now that we know what Summoner Wars is, let me ask you, what are your regrets? Um, so, so I recently wrote an article that I, I think is what you're referring to when you say that I've been talking about it recently, where I, I looked back on Summoner Wars and I talked a little bit about, um, how some of the early decks seemed to have constrained some of the later design decisions. For instance, those catch-up events like Magic Drain or certain units, um, being pretty powerful. Now, this is your chance to call BS on me. Have you felt any of that? What are, what are the things that 
maybe uh, you're looking back on with the first edition that maybe you wish had gone differently? The thing that bothers me the most is the language bloat. Mm, like, sure. the, like that the card text gets longer, that the rules become more obscured over time. And, and really it, it was just a, a lack of experience, I guess, to some degree. Um, that's the thing that bothers me most. The thing that I think is the biggest problem uh, was something that I wouldn't encounter in my games just because I'm not good enough. But at, at super high level play, the game could break in that it would get to a point where both players know that it doesn't benefit them to go on the offensive. And so there was just like, you know, it just it promoted this turtling because you were just more powerful on your side of the board. And, um, and it didn't have, it didn't have any kind of mechanism that inexorably moved it towards a short victory every time, like that, that forced some player to, to act. So uh, Dan and I actually met through the Summoner Wars forums. Uh, we lived in the, in the same city. Um, but that was sort of what, uh, uh, what started our friendship is uh, we we met in those forums and then ended up meeting up for a, an in-person uh, Summoner Wars game. But um, I remember that being a, a topic of much heated debate. Uh, and, and I think I was in the same boat where I'm, I'm, I'm not playing at a high enough level to get to, uh, you know, to get to those sort of, uh, stalemate situations. Um, but I, you know, but I remember it, it being, being brought up a lot. And I remember just sort of looking at those discussions like, well, it, it seems like such an edge case, but I guess, I guess I can see the problem there, you know, two, two summoners on, on either side of a wall. Yeah. (laughs) Neither of them is going to move. Uh, and if you get, a couple of uh, hard-headed players. Nobody, nobody's going to be the one to. All right, I'll move first, and then we'll just see how it goes. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, and I, I had always, you know, there were a lot of different sort of pitches uh, for quote unquote fixing that, um, but I never, I never saw it come to a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, in tournaments, I would use a chess clock. In tournaments we ran, I had bought mm-hmm. a bunch of chess clocks, and so time on the clock would would usually force a player to act. I think, well, I never encountered it not doing that, um, and so that was one solution. It also keeps games on time, uh, as far as being able to, you know, know how long a tournament's going to last. Right. So that was a solution, but I think the game itself needs an inevitable ending baked in. Um, and so I, I've come up with a solution to that. And then, and then there's plenty of problems. Like I can name lots of problems. Um, you know, some of them come down to specific balance issues. Uh, some of them are like, yeah, the catch-up events totally were unnecessary and didn't need to work. And we're just kind of repetitive. And, uh, and it was a, it was a card where he missed an opportunity to be more thematic. Uh, so there were, there were things like that. Um, 
there was a mercenary faction that was released. Like we, we should have never gave them their own faction deck because then that had to be balanced against all other faction decks. But because it could be built into any, that meant some of its it, its uh, heroes and stuff ended up being abusable. Um, whereas, like if they were just one-off cards that could be built into any deck, then you can kind of cost them in a way that accounts for their flexibility. Uh, I mean, I could, I could keep going. Yeah. We don't want to, we don't want to just sit here and make you pick apart your darling. I, uh, you know, well, let's one really of the- shit on it. Let's really, get- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just crap on this game that we all love. Um, I guess my question is what's the best way to dispose of my first edition summoner wars stuff in preparation for this new stuff, this new good summoner wars. Well, I definitely have gotten emails from people that are like, man, how do I find this specific faction <laughs> that I can't find anymore? And like, I wish these people had come out of the woodwork when we still had too much of everything. And <laughs> right. It ended up getting liquidated. Uh, so, but yeah, so I'm pretty sure there's still people out there that would enjoy having a complete first edition. This old um, bad Summoner Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and believe it or not, some people enjoyed it. So, <laughs> so I think one of the things that was always fun for me is that I kind of liked playing bad decks. Yeah. Um, and so I remember I took part in one of the uh, online tournaments when the first few digital decks were available. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the for- forum tournaments. And one of my favorite game moments ever is when I beat my opponent with an angel. Um, oh, it, nice. was, it was the most, it was the stupidest win because I had one hit point left on my summoner. Um, obviously the opponent had one hit left on, they were the Tundra Orcs and their summoner retreated into this little pocket behind two walls. And then in one turn, I summoned my last card, which was an angel with my last magic, flew it over the wall, got lucky on the hit and won. Um, when all I had left was my summoner and everyone else was dead. Um, and it was the best moment. Of <laughs> there was no better moment, not only for me, but for Summoner Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what faction your opponent was playing? It was uh, it was Tundra Orcs. Oh man, yeah, that's a good win. Vanguards, yeah, it's one of the weaker factions, and Tundra Orcs is pretty so, pretty solid. I mean, I I also played in an online in an online tournament, and uh, I was the filth. Uh, and I I guess I must have been one of the only people who. Uh, who volunteered or said they would play as the filth. And I, n- I never personally witnessed it, but I had like second hand, second hand accounts of people saying <laughs> that uh, people were furious at me playing the filth. Uh, Cause I was not, I, th- I think I did not do a great job, but I did win my first game in almost the same uh, last ditch angel but it was, I think I had the, the, uh, tentacle mutant. Yeah. And reached I, around I that wall. Reached under a wall. Yep. And killed the, uh, Tasulu, I think the benders summoner. What was your favorite, uh, now we're, since now we're inevitably being positive, what was your favorite summoner wars moment, Colby? Oh boy. I, you would not believe the number of games of summoner wars I've played <laughs> over the years. Yeah. I don't even want to hear the number. Um, it, I wouldn't know what the number is. I just know it's a lot. Uh, I think like I'll go a little sentimental. Uh, 
there was a, a teacher uh, who had introduced Seminar Wars to his classroom. He was just a board gamer, and he, I think he had just put like a starter set or something upon his little collection of board games um, that kids could access when they had an indoor recess due to inclement weather or something. And um, the, the Seminar Wars just had taken off within that classroom. And he's got a video of like, he just shared it again the other day, but it's like a video of probably 16 different games of Seminar Wars happening simultaneously. And every kid in this classroom is either playing in a game of Seminar Wars or like hovering over a game of Seminar Wars, watching it. And this teacher invited me to come and, and speak to his class, uh, you know, to his class. Uh, and I, and I did do that. And so like the games that I played there against those kids, I think was, um, was just playing in those games, I think was my favorite seminar wars moment, uh, because it, it, uh, I don't know. It felt good, obviously. Uh, but it also just felt like, you know, here's the potential of this game and I might not have figured out how to achieve it, but here's the potential that something I made has. When you look back on Summoner Wars as a whole, um, what, as as a creator, you know, I, I feel like creators were the, were creators are the people who are most in love with and the most bitter at their own creations. A lot of the time, how, how do you feel looking back on this thing now that the first edition is complete, nothing else will be done with it. What is your overall feeling? Um, do you feel that sentimentality or are you, are you done with it? Are you sick of it? I can definitely see all the warts, but, um, I still feel good about the product. I mean, so good that I've never made like invented a second game because anything I've invented, I was like, well, you know, but it's not as good as seminars. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, so yeah, I, I, I feel, feel pretty good about it. It's, it's, it's got all of its, its flaws and warts and I'm not blind to them, but. I like it. And then just picking up and starting to play again, uh, you know, as making second edition, it was very much evident to me. Like I still like this game. Like I've played it so many times, but it is still able to, it's still able to grab me. So I kind of made the game that I wanted to play and it it worked for me. That's awesome. I, I kind of felt so obviously I didn't create Summoner Wars, and I'll add that disclaimer in case anyone's confused. <laughs> but um, I, I felt a little bit, perhaps a shadow of that, just playing it recently where I'm sitting across from somebody who's never played it before, and I go, oh yeah, that call, that card is, is bull crap. Uh, <laughs> I hate that card. It's a cheat card. And then, you know, but not saying that with any malice, just that's just information. Um and saying, so go ahead and play that on me. Just wreck me with that yeah, exactly. you know, reinforcement or whatever just it was. Eat my lunch. So yeah, I just like had a- this on on a play of uh, on a replay of, uh, of of the game where second edition, where Joe, our CTO, double froze my summoner, and I just I just didn't have the magic to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> That yeah, that sounds like one of those bullcrap moments. Yeah, 
But that sounds like this. I seems mean, like and a good, I, it's like, especially bullcrap because I did change that card for second edition that it couldn't be used on the summoner, and both of us forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this seems like a good time to transition to the second edition, then. So, um, one of the things that I'm so I, I obviously don't know much about it. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today. But you've mentioned that the factions themselves will have a totally different method of deck construction. Mm-hmm. Um, so here you've got two people who love the game but understand some of its uh, foibles. So why don't you pitch to us what this new f- what will deck construction look like? How are you arranging the factions? And we'll pick it apart for you. Okay, great. We'll give the trouble late for I, later. I really need a, yeah. I really need a um, focus group. So the way deck construction will work this time around. So when we did second summoners and when we did reinforcements people were just less excited about them. Um, So what I want to do this, or what I'm going to do this time around is that each new release is a ready to play uh, deck and is a unique faction. Uh, And the faction is created by combining a couple of elements that I'm calling deck build symbols. They kind of basically represent the different, uh, I don't know, strengths of, of a summoner and their faction. Uh, so each summoner will have three deck building symbols. As an example, the Tundra Orcs are Water, Primal, and Martial. Now that Martial, every summoner has. And the rule is that you can build into your deck any card that has at least one deck building symbol that matches a deck building symbol on your summoner. Okay. Okay. And then so each unit that's packed in with that summoner has two deck building symbols. The the two that match the summoner minus the martial one. And then each event card that's packed into that, there's three event cards and each one has one symbol, one for each of the three different symbols that the summoner has. Okay. And that's how they come pre-constructed. Uh, and then, so within the master set, there will be six decks and six deck building symbols represented. And so every deck in the master set will be able to build out into or build in from two other decks in the master set and around it goes. So immediately you have some interesting deck building right out of the master set. That sounds like a great idea to me in particular, because so with uh, you had a, you had a series called crystal clans, Mm -hmm. um, which, which I enjoyed not as much as summoner wars, but I did, I did enjoy it. Um, But one of my few disappointments with crystal clans was that it felt like the game ended um, with deck building. Um, like as soon as there was no potential to mix decks, but it was clear that you wanted to have that in there. Um, so is, is this in part a remediation of, of that limitation? Uh, I think that it's inspired by the idea that I had to use a deck building symbol as the, as the easy way to tell people how to deck build. And then, and then it builds off of that because in there they all have one symbol. And so the idea there was to work in cycles where there would be 
six deck building symbols or, or uh, and then those are in the master set. And then the next six releases were, you know, reuse those deck building symbols. And the idea was to keep going like that, but the, the game just never took off. I think because, it, you know, a lot of the reaction, it, it has its fans, but a lot of the reaction was like, this reminds me of Summoner Wars in XYZ ways, but I prefer Summoner Wars. So yeah. that doesn't exactly excite people to go out and get the game. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was kind of its doom, um, among other things. But uh, I definitely think that the production of the game wasn't one of them. I, it's one of my favorite productions we had ever done. I love the art in that game. and the graphics. Oh, the art was gorgeous. Yeah. Are you... Uh... So, so I love the idea of having deck construction already in one set. Um, so, can you name the six symbols right off the top of your head? That well, there's just there's six symbols in the uh, master set. There are more symbols than that within the game. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I've got twelve right now, and I think that that's going to be plenty. So yeah, there are 12 symbols. And then, so you got to think of every combination of two that's possible within 12. It's quite a lot. Um, right. You want me to, you want me to list them off? Yeah. If you, if you want to. Okay. So I've got the main elements, fire, water, earth, air, and then I have light, dark. I have nature, primal, trickster, engineering, psychic, and divine. I'm already thinking of the ways that those could fit into the existing decks. Yeah, like, me too. Um, with like, you've got, so you had trickster in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the cloaks, I'm thinking of psychic, um, almost like a psychic trickster for certain of the factions, like the benders or the shadow elves with some of their nonsense they get up to. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, some um, of them are like, oh, we need to tweak the facts. Like the the like the to, in order to get like a a solid you know round six that everybody builds off of everybody else within the uh, master set. I, I do have to tweak a little bit on some of the factions. So like the Phoenix Elves, uh, in the past were you know we ended up having they were, they were a little more evil and uh, and allied with the Fallen Kingdom. And in this set, they are they are light fire, and typically I think of light as more of the good guys, unless they get too extreme in that ideology. Um, and, and so, like that'll take some you know, that'll take some thematic changes, some visual uh, a different direction with the the faction. The Fallen Kingdom are dark fire, with the idea that it play up more of the you know they're summoning demons and stuff like that, like the loot ball. Yeah. And, and get that fire thing into there. But for the most part, they just make sense. Like the deep dwarves are dark earth and the, and the uh, sand goblins are earth air and the benders are air psychic. And Yeah, that sounds great. Um, are you, so you, you mentioned the, uh, the mercenaries, for instance. So I, so I assume that Marshall is a way for you to have mercenary units. Yeah, so the way that it's first introduced into the in is obviously those martial event cards. Uh, each deck will have one, and they're more of a utilitarian type of uh, uh, of power usually. So 
and then and then their cost at a little bit high than you know compared to other cards but to account for their flexibility but yeah the the plan is that we could do mercenaries using that marshal symbol yeah well so are you worried so so the master set won't have any marshal units just the marshal events correct Okay. So, but are you thinking you, so it sounds like you are thinking of introducing, uh, martial units that could be pricey kind of all arounder type units. Yeah. I wouldn't make the mistake of making a faction deck out of them, but, um, I do like the idea of, you know, I want to, I want to do like some kind of direct to consumer and direct to, you know, retailers that are interested, uh, organized play kits and stuff like that. I think they would make great fodder there. Uh, yeah. I think they'd be great for like just little freebies that you send out uh, it to with, you know, new decks to subscribers. Cause I want to do like a subscription program, stuff oh, okay. like that. Well, so with this flexible system, are you especially worried about, for instance, ultra ideal units that would always find their way into particular, uh, deck building symbol decks. Uh, that's obviously something that we would be looking out for um, in play testing. We've because we've brought a tech guy on staff. He's already got up and functioning. Uh, kind of our own private uh, Summoner Wars online play utility. Uh, it doesn't enforce like all the powers and stuff, but it kind of enforces phases and and can be improved as we go. Um, but it, one thing it does is it logs the actions in the games and like what all what versions of of what cards are in the games and um, and the game end state and who won and uh, it, it actually can send all of that data out and we can build some logic to have that produce these detailed reports of you know that can give us ideas about individual card strength. And then obviously some very clear ideas around win rate of different factions. And then I want to do like a, uh, you know, enforce some, some rules within the play testing where it's like, you need to like play through each one of these before you swing back to this faction. So that way, like a really good player with a favorite faction isn't skewing results or really bad player with a favorite faction isn't skewing results. Sure. That sounds great. Uh, Brock, do you have any, are you thinking anything about this faction building system that you wanted to ask Colby? I, I'm thinking that it's a really, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I have questions. It seems like a, a really elegant way to approach it. Um, and it, and it also feels, uh, thematic to the world, you know, being able to identify that as like, you know, these, these uh, summoners with similar elements uh, may attract some of the same units. I think that's an interesting uh, approach and it sounds, sounds intriguing. I'm excited to, to see it in action. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of limited deck building and, and that's what I did with summoner wars. It, but it's also just like, I'm a fan of, uh, of seeing armies that like thematically make sense. Right. Like, you know, I mentioned Heroescape a couple of times when I played Heroescape, I wanted an army that like belonged together. I just, I didn't want, didn't feel like, oh, this is the best army. 
right? Because it's this combination of units that's perfect. It was like, I don't know, that's just always for whatever reason been something that tickled my brain, right? So I just thought that this could be an interesting way to expand the deck building without blowing it wide open and at the same time uh, make it thematic in some way so it's like oh the tundra orcs are really primal and so are you know the cave goblins are primal tricksters so it like it makes sense to have tundra orcs and cave goblins fighting together they're both like you know punch first think later yeah yeah that's awesome so i have a big list of uh of things i wanted to ask about if are these things that are going to see alterations or changes in the second edition yeah how am i doing in the focus group so far Oh no, I'm 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 excited. Okay, I can sense a lot of sarcasm in Brock's voice, but I'm <laughs> yeah, you're I'm pretty excited. Enough. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this sounds super elegant. <laughs> yeah, that's. Don't worry about it. That's just how Brock is. I'm using what I am the jerk off motion. <laughs> <Yeah>. How crass! <laughs> so let me. Ask- let me ask you some of these uh, maybe rapid fire almost. So are, does it still follow the same phase structure? Phase structure has um, been tweaked a little bit. Um, there are now only four phases. Uh, it goes, first phase is summon. Uh, that's obviously when you bring out uh, your units. Uh, the next phase is action. And you can activate up to four units. And when you activate a unit, you move with it, still up to two spaces, uh, and then you attack with it. Uh, so you oh, do those one at a time rather than being move and attack, be different phases. Uh, and, th- and then it's build magic, uh, where you can dump cards from your hand to turn them into magic. And then it's draw, and you draw three cards, exactly three cards. Oh, okay. Um, you have a hand size of seven. There's a hand limit where you have to discard down, but you'd be pretty foolish to not just build down to, you know. Right, right. Five cards, yeah, four cards so that you have room for your new three. My gut reaction there is that it's just wise to put draw at the end. Um, I remember that there was a little bit of paralysis that could occur because you draw at the beginning. Yeah. And then have to evaluate all of your cards and when when playing informally we would pretty much just always draw at the end but keep the cards we had drawn separate from the ones already in our hand in case there was something that would discard yeah um, that's feedback i remember seeing from a few people that like totally made sense um so that's something i remembered when when doing this so it sounds to me like the magic system is largely intact yeah you don't um when you build a card, you don't put it into your magic pile. You just discard it, and then we'll have like a little crystal or token or something that is track your magic. And there are other reasons for that that I can get into. Oh, okay. Like I could imagine you could have effects that would also give you magic but not rely on the card. Right. There's that, and there's... Um, for deck building, I imagine, too. If your cards are a little more mixed, it would be harder to... Yeah, so all the cards are going to have the same back this time around. Yeah. um, Because the deck building has opened up. uh, And so it doesn't really work uh, to as well to like have the cards mixing 
because they're less noticeable whose cards are whose. Right. You'd have um, to sleeve everything. Yeah. With custom backs. And so the cards, when they're discarded or destroyed, always go to their owner's pile, and then the player gains a magic. The other reason is that players start off with three magic, and they don't start off with units on the board except for their summoner. Oh, okay. Um, because so you're not locked into a particular opening right, setup. Yeah, and you uh, and you start with five cards. Yes, yeah, that was it was a complicated thing to explain. It, it took up, you know, just like oh, you need to have these cards and here's how you set them up and it required a little graph and you know, uh it, it just is uh, it was an inessential barrier and then like at high level play or even medium level play, really, it would be like, okay, you know, I'm the noble vanguards, uh, protector of the, of the innocent. I'm going <laughs> to start off my turn by shooting down my own people because I love that magic. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually my next question is, is, unit, is killing your own units still permitted? Killing your own units is still permitted, but you don't get magic for them. You only okay. get mad if an effect or an attack from your cards causes one of your units to be destroyed, you gain no magic. If it causes an opponent's unit to be destroyed, then you gain a magic. I like that because for me, one of the uh, metagame things that, you know, I, I, I happily did it in play because it was so useful to kill off your starting units, but. It was. Uh, it did tend to lead to those bottlenecks and stalemates where both sides would immediately murder their loyal friends, yeah, uh, to buy other loyal friends and then hide behind their walls, and that was always a little bit of a letdown. So the reason why I didn't just outlaw it straight out was because um, I really liked the idea of like factions like the Fallen Kingdom just being like, yeah, I'll destroy, I'll destroy my friends for power, I, I like whatever needs to be done. Like, so right. I, I think thematically we can still do some cool things with like destroy your own units. Um, and, and I think it's pretty much solved with them not generating magic that, uh, and, and not starting off with a bunch of units you didn't choose on the board, I think right. solves the problem of players wanting to kill their own units. Well, right. I'm already thinking a little bit of theory crafting where you could easily make uh, dark events or summoner abilities, that resurrect new units for cheaper by killing your own units or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that then decouples it so that you don't have the vanguards shooting there. You know, that guy has five kids and you just shot him in the face. With yeah. <laughs> You're his son's godfather. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds, are there still walls? Yes, there, uh, there are, the walls are not in the deck. There are two walls and they start in specific spots. Um, so, I mean, how to describe this in a non-visual um, format. Uh, on If you're sitting behind your summoner, which is usually where you're sitting, uh, to the one space in from the far, from the far right edge of the board uh, and three spaces up, is one wall and then at the back row of your board behind that wall. So a space between that and the wall is your summoner. And then on the far left side of the board, uh, one space, uh, two, uh, 
skip a space and then your space in just as it was on the right, but only two spaces up is the second wall. And okay. in doing this, um, it prevents, um, it prevents deadlock because I also have done some stuff around to make commons more relevant. So more commons show up on the board. Uh, so that isn't, you know, because so much of Summoner Wars was about like trash all your commons and just get champions out. Uh, right. It was rare for a common to be relevant. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, obviously I, I, that was not something I intended. So, um, but, but then the problem I ran with early playtesting was like the middle of the board was just becoming clogged because it, you know, you're building your walls up there towards the center and people are counter building the walls and then, you know, since you're, you're, since common play is more relevant, and it was just it was just a log jam. Whereas the and that solves all that. So is this the primary solution to like stalemating and hiding? By, so what drives units forward? The uh, during the draw phase, uh, you if you have no cards in your um, draw pile at the beginning of the draw phase, your summoner takes one wound. Okay. Okay. Sounds like that would change the tempo pretty significantly. Uh, it, yeah, I haven't, I haven't noticed in my games, but I'm like not like an elite player. I haven't noticed it change the tempo too much in my games. I think of maybe the common play changes the tempo a little more, and the and the always three cards changes the tempo a little more. Um, but what it does is just ensure that there is always a player who's going to die first if they don't act. And so, and the balance of who that player is can change as you go. Uh, sure. You know, as you inflict wounds, it's if you if you both just happen to have two summoners that have the same life points, whoever went first is going to die first. And so, you also don't need that first player uh, needs to skip certain phases balancing act, or at least I don't suspect you will. I, it hasn't felt like it, it's needed so far. So one of the things that I always loved about Summoner Wars, the first edition, was that it had a particular almost three-act structure uh, that very naturally arose from the systems and the units on the board, where early on you had sort of this consolidation. There were a lot of early maneuvers to lock down uh, sectors of the board. In the mid-game, you generally had a lot of little thrusts toward the opponent opponent's summoner. Uh, but then in the late game, that's when you generally people's cards were growing thin. They were running out of magic. The decks would burn out um, and you generally had kind of the final clash. Now that's what, that's when it went all ideally and you didn't have stalemates. Does, do you find that that same structure holds true in the second edition or how would you describe a match uh, to somebody who, who they know the first edition, they obviously don't know the second edition how does it differ or how is it similar? I think in the, um, in the first edition, you would see a lot more of like the, the first act was like prepare, you know, you're dumping cards to get a good magic pile, to get something out there that has a decent amount of survivability. Um, and now like the, commons are more a little more relevant so like it's always a tough choice between like am i going to am i going to do something now with with some commons or am i going to save up and if i save up 
too much for too long. I will have um, let my walls get surrounded and just generally be dealing with uh, with with too much coming at me. Uh, so I would say there's more action early than there used to be. Um, if you don't count killing your own guys, and then uh, and then that kind of sustains like like you mentioned forays. So forays and little jabs um, make more sense now. Uh, the dice have changed. The dice are, oh. are going to be custom dice now rather than just normal pipped dice. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're really getting into the, into the nitty gritty here, but the, um, the distribution of the dice is, is one side has two swords on it. So when you're attacking with a melee, you do one hit for every sword you rolled. Uh, one side has a a bow and a special symbol on it. Uh, another side has a bow sword, bow sword, bow sword, and then sword special. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no, sword bow special. Right. So bow only misses on one die. Sword only misses on one, uh, one face and sword, but sword has the potential to hit on two faces. And then the special comes in, in all sorts of ways based on powers. It sounds like maybe you're taking some lessons from, uh, some of your storybook games, maybe mice and mystics. Uh, I think, yeah, if, in what way it's most inspired by Mice of Mystics is just I love the look of those dice, yeah. um, and and so that influenced it there. I also I also always knew that I wanted to um, wanted to make those dice custom because I think that it's just especially with younger players it's just gonna quick it's gonna click quicker than like okay which one was a, a hit again. And then changing that based on powers and stuff, right. uh, and, and I just like the the cleanness of a symbol system with the dice better. Yeah, uh, but the special was just something that yeah, it, it might have been my submissive influenced me. I I don't know if it's the first game that did that, uh, probably not. But I just I, I just I I like the idea, and and I I basically needed something to replace the powers that dealt with odds. Right. Yeah. So, like, fury, where you can roll a die, and if you roll a six, you can go again, and stuff like that, or five and six. So, like, okay, now it's like you roll, and if you roll a dot, and then there's also just stuff like precise, right? So, precise is like there's precise strike and precise shot. Precise strike makes every dot account as a sword. Precise. Uh, shot makes every dot count as a bow, right? Okay. Um, and and all all sorts of things like that. Like um, I, I, sluggish um, is now like when you're being attacked, all dots count as hits too, or you take a wound for every dot rolled as well. Oh, uh, cool. Just just things like that that you know that replace the fact that I used to have a one through six to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm understanding this correctly, does that mean that like a precise strike, melee strike could never miss, whereas a, a precise shot has like a one in six chance of missing? 
That's right. Yeah. Okay. And, but in both cases, they both have more chances of doing double damage of right. Of there is a double because there, because there's the sword and the dot and then the bow and the dot. Right. And the sword bow dot as well. Yeah. The last question that I had for you um, and, and feel free to, to, I didn't, I didn't even think to ask about the dice. So that's great. Th- feel free to throw in anything and say, Dan, you're dumb for not asking this, but um, <laughs> there was always a rich implied fiction in the Summoner Wars universe. Um, I remember when somebody figured out that maybe the map just kind of looked like our Earth's map, but with, uh, you know, Merrick, you know, whatever they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was fun to have the uh, short stories appear on the site. Is there is there a similar fiction to the second edition? Is this later in the timeline, so to speak, or is it just a, a reboot? So uh, I'm doing a, a, a reboot on the fiction just because... I think that it would it would just be more approachable for new players uh, to engage with the fiction uh, by doing that. Um, I'm sure that we will, you know, have some of the same th- same themes and stuff emerge. Um, but you know, we can tell different stories with those little bios, and yeah, the bios are definitely something that that uh, can and should return. They're all written by the by Mister Bistro and. Uh, he's now full-time staff and he wasn't when Summoner Wars first edition was in its life cycle. So we have more access to him than ever before to, to do those things. I I remember the fiction of dungeon run being tied into Summoner Wars fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just, I just want to know when we're getting some more dungeon run. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's like, everybody likes to ask this question at this point. (laughs) <laughs> because there are some people who just ask it incessantly. And so now it's a joke to ask the question. Uh, I, I am interested in revisiting Dungeon Run. It wouldn't be a Dungeon Run 2, but I think that they, uh, first off, the name is, is super fun. Uh, second off, the premise of like, it's a fast dungeon crawler where you need to trust other people, but really you can't. Like right. it didn't, it it, it did not execute fully on that premise. Like when you actually played, um, players would tend to split up fairly quickly because um, otherwise they were just constantly like, uh, you know, dealing with, I mean, because the first player that went is going to get the first hit on on a monster or whatever. And it, it was just, the game did not force them together properly so you're looking at ways to maybe uh redo dungeon run have some of the same stuff but better execute on its original premise awesome i i imagine you've given that answer a time or two uh, oh just a couple of times at this I point just, i always thought it was fun that it was like a prequel to to the summoner wars that i loved that like oh this is this is how they ended up with that summoning stone yeah, I don't know if we will tie it to Summon Wars again, but based on like how much excitement is out there about Summon Wars Second Edition, uh, you know, we might we might in fact sure. do that again. Um, I know that Bistro has some ideas around changing up the scenarios a little bit, so that it isn't always that the that the goal is to get the Summoning Stone. That the there'll be variable goals uh, depending on the play and depending on uh, player choice. I, I think. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Colby. Now. 
I wanted to ask you, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us about um, what will be the newly independent, again, Plaid Hat's first latest release, um, Forgotten Waters. Um, so am I right that this is a crossroads game, but we can't say crossroads? It's crossroads and you can say crossroads. So oh, we're about to say that. yes, adventure book game is what uh, branding that Asmodee kept. And we are keeping the crossroads game branding. Okay, We're allowed to use the adventure book game brand, uh, but only on Coma Knots um, for as long as it's in print. They're allowed to use the crossroad brand for only as long as the first edition of Dead of Winter is in print. Okay. So tell us about Forgotten Waters. So here's all I know about it. I'll tell you everything. Um, Pirates. Yeah, that's a good start. Uh, So I have have had to pitch this game a few times with Gamma. So... um, and and kind of what I developed in the uh, shorthand and the pitch is like it, it's a combination of role playing game and party game, so two very different ends of the spectrum. Uh, it is it plays up to seven players. Uh, it has um, it, it has a very kind of zany, fun, uh, comedic nature to to the writing and to generally you know how all of you are this pirate crew that that needs to work together but you're all also selfish bastards so like that leads to all sorts of fun and um and it's not kind of like the dark psychological uh presentation that it was in dead of winter with you know with everybody having their own psychological tics and here it, it's it's not it, it's not as brutal. Um, you're all definitely working towards the main goal, but you all want to advance your own personal story. And sometimes, sometimes, but not always, that encourages selfish actions. Like you know, like um, I might kick off to the bar. Meanwhile, uh, my crewmate is laboriously patching the giant holes in our ship to keep it from from sinking once we leave port, but you know, I wanted to go and, 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 uh, work on my brawn skill because I know that if I get this brawn up to three, that's going to get me a star on my constellation. And, you know, um, I'm only two spaces away from filling in one of these like little event things that, that gives me an event. And if I get, uh, if I get four of my events, I get the good ending. Other, If I get five of them, I get the legendary ending. If I get three or fewer, I get the bad ending. Um, and then there's also like, I can gain stars on my constellation by burying treasure. Because uh, obviously having treasure left behind uh, helps add to your legendary status. Um, and and then there's this infamy track that's constantly changing because it's it's about how infamous you are in comparison to one another. So you're constantly trying to up one up one another and like climb on the infamy track. Cause then you get to act first, which means you get to do the actions you most want to do. Um, you know, wh- whether for your benefit or the crew's benefit is really up to you. Um, and sometimes they're one and the same. Uh, and then, uh, and then like, if you, if you really like, do poorly at a at an, a, a thing, you know, because you went in there without good enough stats or good enough items, and then you roll badly on top of it. Um, you can lose infamy, which is can lead to some fun moments. 
but it's role playing in that each player there's a, a sheet of 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 um, of little forms, I guess. Uh, it's just lo- little pieces of paper, and you fold them in half and make like a little miniature book. On the front is your constellation that you fill in as you go, and your stats that you mark as you go, mark boxes in as you go. And then on the inside uh, to the left is a little, um, at the top, there's uh, several little blank lines and Mad Lib style. It asks you to name like uh, a animal or uh, another pirate at the table or different things like that. And then, uh, and then all the players like read their backstory out loud and it's got little places where the Mad Libs get, you know, used in. That's that's awesome. And then to the right is your events. So as you're filling, as you get to like a little exclamation event thing on your constellation, you get this little token. And then at certain points, the game directs you at certain like downtime points, the game directs you like, okay, cash in all of your event tokens and, and you read each of the events that has happened to you, you know, it's, it's basically like, you know, telling tales around the fire. Here's, here's how my personal thing has developed while all the main action stuff has been going on. And, um, and then they have effects to them as well. Uh, and, and tell the personal story of whatever the archive of that pirate is, plus your little Mad Lib throw in. Um, and then on the back, is the epilogues so you're you're at the end of the game you you either read your bad ending your good ending or your legendary ending depending on how well you did and if you get a good or legendary ending you're considered to have won and but but you know you get that legendary ending and you everybody's sitting around while you tell the tale of how your pirate goes on uh and and just how big of a badass he is and um and all the all, all how his his you know individual story ended so well and then obviously the bad ends the opposite end of the spectrum where you have to shamefully tell what a piece of shit you are uh, <laughs> to, to the rest of the group so uh, is this is this a single play game or is it also a is it a not storybook game uh no it is um there are five scenarios they can be played in any order um, we recommend that you play. There's one of the scenarios we recommend you play first, Beyond the Ocean's Edge, because it sets up the premise of why of like why this world is so fantastical, and uh, okay. a, and so that's the only kind of like order that there is. Other than that, you can play any of the scenarios. Each scenario has a different captain of the ship. So at the end of every scenario, something's going to go down with your captain and you're going to have to get a new captain the next time you play. Now that's kind of represented by <laughs> the scenarios. Um, it, Cause yeah, you're, you're just a, you're just a crazy crew in search of a captain, I guess. Um, each of the scenarios has a save point in the middle of it um, with a very simple save system, a way to track it on the back of the ship log. Uh, and then an easy way to reset back up, you know, when you go back to the game, you choose your campaign and click setup. It asks if you've played before and, um, and whether you're returning from a save. And if you're returning from a save, then it tells you how to set up from there. Um, just guides you through it. And, uh, and so each game session is about two hours, unless you plow right through the save point and, and just continue on and play a whole, um, scenario at once um 
But additionally, the way that the app is built, and it's a web app, not a, a native app, so it doesn't break when your OS updates, but you can install it like a native app, so you can still access it when you're um if you're if you're going someplace where you know you're not gonna have internet access or you're doing it on an iPad or something, uh, and you're going where you don't have Wi-Fi. Uh and so the app is is able to do a number of cool things. And one of them is like even if I'm playing the same scenario and I we ended up at the same place and I chose the same action and I made the same choice within that action if there was one. And um it, it the the app knows if it's already served you a piece of content and it has more content behind that and more content behind that, in some cases even more content behind that. Uh, so it really supports that, the, that there's still a sense of discovery. You're still getting surprised. The, the main story arc moments are still there for that scenario, but um, your ability to discover new things happening um, and, 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 having, and, and that's in addition to, you know, the archetype of pirate you're playing is different and, yeah. and, so it really supports replayability in that way. And That's additionally, really since all the content is on the app, you know, we can add more scenarios and are even thinking of doing a, um, a scenario builder that has like a user-friendly interface that um, would let fans build out their own scenarios that, that then we, they can, um, you know, share the files of, or we could have an upvote system. So the cream rises to the top. We could even, you know, maybe go out and find the best ones and polish them up and, and, you know, just then have the art for them and make them, you know, an official, uh, you know, part of selecting a scenario rather than having to go into some, you know, fan made bit. But, uh, yeah. So I, I think that, that even though it is, it is scenario based, you're looking at basically 10 plays where, you know, everything you see is original and then more plays where the, the main story bits are still the same because you're replaying that scenario, but there a, a bunch of other stuff is, is different and unexpected. Well, that sounds like a riot. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun and I think really does it, it, another way in that it's like a party game is like, it's super easy to introduce people to because we, we just walk you through it as you, as you go in really clever ways using the app. Um, so it's, it's super easy to learn and it's even easier to teach because it's just like, you know, setups, one of the hardest parts, uh, and, and, and the app walks you through that. Uh, and it's even not even that hard, um, comparatively to other hobby board games. Uh, but then each player just needs to know like, Hey, that action looks interesting. And, Oh, it's got, it's got these symbols that represent, uh, you know, these different stats on my, or it's got that treasure symbol, uh, et cetera, et cetera, to give me some idea of, of the things I could expect to find there. Uh, and so it, it's as simple as like, I'm going to choose to do this action. You do it. And then, when you resolve it, the game walks you through what to do and roll. It, it's a, it, it just walks you through everything. So all I, as a player, need to be told is like, which which action looks fun to do, which action looks cool to do. Here's how you get stars. Um, 
Let's go. So when is it coming out, Colby? Uh, April 10th. Oh, okay. You can pre-order it now. Uh, Pre-order.fwcrossroads.com or you can find the pre-order through our website, platthatgames.com. Um, uh, if you pre-order uh, at our site or with participating retailers, you can get 20% off. Uh, and then uh, at all retailers, if you pick up the game with the first print run edition or if you get it through us, um, there is a, a, a promo that ships with it that um, allows you to assemble a little organizer that looks like various treasure chests and stuff where you keep the treasure cards and the story cards and the different tokens. Listeners, I, I suppose you should make a decision now if you should go pre-order or not. Um, thank you so much, Colby, for joining us. Uh, I am Dan Thoreau. I was joined by my very good friend, Brock Paulson, and my new friend, Colby Dowk. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me on.